Welcome to the podcast version of Robots in Depth and this launch episode with Spring Berman in cooperation with Vvolver. Robots in Depth is supported by Aptomica. Visit aptomica.com to connect. You will find all past episodes and more on robotsindepth.com. So, welcome to this episode of Robots in Depth. Today I'm honored to have my friend Spring Bergman here. Uh, she's from Arizona State University mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about like everything, everything in robotics. <laughs> I, I'm so fortunate to have the opportunity to, to, to speak to you about what's going on in robotics, and I find it so fascinating. But let's start where we always start. Mm-hmm. How did you get into robotics? Why robotics? What, what was the first exposure to building mechanical things that could move around them? Well, um, I always liked building um, with uh, construction sets as a child, like the Lincoln Logs and <laughs> this little architecture kit. Um, so I liked design and, and building back then. Um, and then I got very interested in math and physics um, on the theoretical side. Uh, I went to undergraduate, um, th- an undergraduate program in mechanical and aerospace engineering at Princeton University. And I think that was where I first had my uh, uh, real exposure to robotics um, because there was a professor there, uh, Naomi Leonard, who was working on underwater gliders uh-huh. and uh, how to coordinate them to take measurements um, efficiently about the ocean, like uh, temperature and salinity, biological, bioluminescence. Um, so I worked in her lab for a few years, and I became fascinated by this idea of um, using natural swarms or natural groups that exhibit these collective behaviors, um, using that as inspiration for um, multi-robot control strategies. Uh, like mm-hmm. emergent properties. Emergent properties, yeah. yeah. Very hard to control, I understand. Emergent <laughs> yeah. properties are something we, we usually try to keep out of our systems, I understand, right? Um, yeah, well, undesirable emer- emergent yeah. properties. You it's like herding cats, right? Yeah, right, right. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's such a challenge. That that's what I've been working on for, mm. um, for well, since undergraduate. Mm. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's where I first got exposed to robotics was this underwater glider project. Mm-hmm. Um, was it deep underwater or was it surface? We have seen these gliders that have a surface part and a kind of suspended part like 15 or 20 meters below that use the waves to move ahead. Could you explain a little bit more about those gliders? Um, so these were buoyancy driven mm-hmm. um, vehicles. So they move in the sawtooth pattern mm-hmm. up and down um, and they can uh, go out taking measurements for long periods of time. I and understand that yeah. that's the benefit of a glider. Yeah. It, we're talking weeks and months or even right. longer times, right? Right, right. Rather than maybe a, f- a day or so on in, in, in a uh, battery-powered vehicle. Yeah, So yeah. it's magnitudes m- more, right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So you can do things like persistent monitoring um, mm-hmm. of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think what fascinated me about that project was the idea that you're developing these mathematical and computational tools mm-hmm. to control groups of vehicles, not just a single vehicle, but groups of vehicles to um, perform some kind of desired macroscopic behavior. And, um, and the idea that you can see this in nature when you look at ant colonies or schools of fish or flocks of birds, um, y- you know, there's no leader in, in the swarm, but everybody is, um, basically every member is following local information about their neighbors, about the environment, and just through those interactions you get this very complex emergent behavior. And so I thought it was really interesting that we could 
possibly design those emergent behaviors um, by designing the controllers controllers of the robot. Yeah, because if, 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 if the birds had a leader, that would be just chaos. You couldn't <laughs> achieve what you want to achieve with the leader. You have to design it without one. Yeah, I, th I think um, there are some strategies that do use leaders, like leader-follower strategies. Um, but for the most part, if you want a robust system, where there's not a single point of failure, then you need these decentralized strategies that are robust to disturbance and mm. failures. Can you talk a bit more about the development of these kind of leaderless systems? Um, so, yeah, there's. I guess the the challenge is guaranteeing that they'll do what you want them to do, <laughs> mm. um, and that's a major challenge that's been approached. Um, by researchers in different fields. Um, for instance, some people use control theoretic concepts to guarantee stability. Um, uh, for instance, stability of a formation that a flock will converge to a certain formation. Um, or there's methods from, that are from computer science, from the study of formal methods to verify the correctness of behaviors using tools like linear temporal logic. Um, so these tools come from different fields. And so one challenge right now is to kind of uh, merge them and or to create you know, a, a, a unified framework for understanding um, and controlling swarm behaviors. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of, um, uh, so one challenge is that it, sometimes it's hard to develop an accurate model uh, mm. of the system because uh, you can use, uh, my group in particular uses models from chemical reaction networks. Mm. Um, so modeling the individual members as molecules that are colliding and um, interacting with each other and then they can switch their tasks based on their interactions. Mm. Um, so these chemical models that abstract to differential equation models are very useful in describing the expected or the mean uh, population dynamics. So there are fluctuations around that expected behavior based on things like the number of agents, um, you know, their sensing ranges, their capabilities. And so, uh, it's a, so you also want to be able to model that variation and mm. to um, hopefully produce bounds on the performance, so confidence bounds that you can be certain that the swarm will um, execute this behavior with this degree of confidence. Mm. Um, and th that's an ongoing, that's an open problem that we're still working on is how do you characterize um, that variance? Um, what is it a function of in terms of the robot programs and their um, physical capabilities? Mm. So, uh, and, and then of course you have uh, issues like they're, they're exploring an uncertain environment, you don't know um, what obstacles there are in there, what features, you know, some of them might fail, mm. <laughs> um, they might get stuck somewhere. <laughs> so, mm. uh, and, so these things are very difficult to model. Um, and so we, we try to uh, address that by also introducing mapping strategies where we can deploy the swarm and then get information back from them that we can use to reconstruct the environment um, to modify the, the dynamics uh, in our model so that it's more accurate. Um, so that's another problem that we're addressing because we, uh, we do use these um, uh, both differential equation and stochastic models to describe the robot behaviors. And how do yeah. you come, say you're doing this in, a, in, in the air or you're doing it underwater, how do you convince regulatory authorities that, that they're not going to do anything bad? Right, right. No, that, and that's an excellent point and that is something that's ongoing research that's being funded 
for instance, by the Department of Defense, um, because they really want to know things like if if your adversary has a swarm mm -hmm. and it starts interacting with your swarm, <laughs> um, <laughs> can you you know guarantee that your swarm is not going to go awry or you know that mm. it's not going to kill your swarm? So things like that, where you actually have interactions between mm -hmm. uh, different swarms as well as between a swarm and an environment. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it is. There's two different problems. Like, can you guarantee that it will go into this desired set of behaviors, or can you guarantee that it will avoid this undesirable set? And mm. so, those are two questions. Mm. Um, and uh, it, they are excellent questions, and it's they're ones that we're trying to work on using our methods. Yeah. Where would you <laughs> say the field is in maturity? I mean, we've, I guess you've been working on this for quite a while, and others might have worked before you. Where yeah. are the field now? Is it kind of in the beginning or in the middle? Or um, so I think. Yeah, I've, I've kind of been a part of this field for a while now. You know, at least mm. ten or. 12 years <laughs> so mm -hmm. so I've, I've seen it developing and I think one thing that's been enabling the swarm technologies is the development of these really low-cost small robot platforms that you can manufacture quickly and cheaply and then deploy in large numbers mm -hmm. and so there's been a whole variety of platforms so aerial ground surface underwater mm -hmm. um, that are that have been coming out so that's kind of exploded recently um, so that's on the just the technological feasibility side that it's actually becoming feasible to um, use these. But I think one of the main challenges is the control problem. Mm. So how do you control them um, and have them, um, I think the next frontier tier now, the next frontier now is developing resilient autonomous collective systems. Mm. So that is that you can deploy them into an unknown environment, um, possibly without GPS or reliable communication, and that they can adapt to novel circumstances, so unexpected situations, that they can even learn how to, um, how to deal with these uh, different scenarios. So you have adaptation and learning, and that they can persist um, for long periods of time, like, like a single glider, <laughs> mm -hmm. but now you have a swarm of a thousand that um, is robust to failures, that can adapt and learn. And that's really the next challenge, and I think it's, um, it's still hard to do that because we, we're not there yet in terms of um, the uh, broad applicability of control methods and verification methods to all kinds of circumstances. Mm -hmm. So that's still an open problem. People are working on that frontier of research. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's why a lot of it is still confined to research labs um, for s uh, smaller groups. And, uh, and simulations, basically, multi-agent simulations. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the, the area is kind of, uh, maybe it, it's towards the end of the beginning, but it's not yeah. that far along. It's simply that complicated, that hard. Huh? Yeah, I think it's, it's still, you know, there's been so many interesting ideas, um, you know, from coming from different communities, from, you know, applied math, kinetic modeling, um, study of self-organization and biological systems, control theory, computer science, formal methods. Um, there's There's been a lot of um, ideas, there's been a lot of collaborative work and discussions and workshops. And um, I think, uh, and so that's been great because it's kind of been this knowledge exchange between different fields. Um, so then the next, I think the next phase of that is to combine them in these um, rigorous ways, in these, um, Analytically, uh, analytically rigorous ways, and where you can't do that, develop computational techniques um, that can answer that question. If someone says, "Well, you know, I'm <laughs> deploying this swarm, and I want it to not, you know, do this undesirable behavior," that you can assure them that yes, 
this is you know ready for deployment mm. and we can guarantee this and that mm. and because uh, otherwise you yeah. simply won't be allowed to deploy them yeah this will be deployed in then somewhere in the future in in large groups, I would presume, mm -hmm. not dozens, but hundreds of thousands. Mm -hmm. Where do you see the application? I mean, say, say mm -hmm. we've solved these problems, we, we, we have hardware, it's available. What would be your dream application? So I think that um, there's a lot of potential um, in areas like environmental monitoring, um, humanitarian operations like search and rescue, um, disaster response, where you have to cover a large area, um, possibly manipulate uh, things in the environment. Um, uh, so other so other applications might be um, for exploration. So in environments that are inaccessible to humans, like deep underwater or in outer space and other planets, <laughs> mm. um, uh, you know, doing construction uh, and manufacturing and assembly in these environments where mm. humans can't necessarily go or easily. don't want to go or don't want to go mm. exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, there's uh, other applications that are uh, also new and, uh, but at a very different scale. So at the micro nano scale. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So um, there are people working on micro nano systems, uh, such as nanoparticles or you know other types of controllable you know systems at the micro nano scale. That's, controllable platforms. That's, that's difficult yeah. in a whole other level. Yes. Like, if, you, is, if you build yeah. a mechanical device <laughs> as your swarm member, yeah. I'm thinking you have an easy day because if you go to the nano scale, everything becomes just weird, right? Yeah, yeah. You have effects that you uh, don't have at, at you know larger scales. And that we are and not. Yeah. We have a hard time relating to them because we never experience them. We right. are not nano scale. Right, right. Entities on our own, right? Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, and so then people are developing these kind of hybrid platforms, even with biological components like cells or bacteria, um, plus you know synthetic components, mm -hmm. um, so that you can kind of exploit the uh, propulsion um, or other behaviors of the uh, the biological component. Don't necessarily have to engineer that, which is really mm -hmm. still a challenge at mm -hmm. that scale. So it's better to use what all what, what nature already provides. Yeah, right? in some cases, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, and it, so the applications there. Um, uh, at that level, there are a lot of biomedical applications. Mm. And so those include things like targeted drug delivery for um, uh -huh. cancer therapy. Mm. Um, so getting the uh, chemotherapy directly into tumors. Uh, um, but not yeah. into the rest of the body, but not causing into these the horrible cells. side effects. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, of course, ev ev everybody supports that. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So we're going mm -hmm. from the small, I would presume that when we have so many systems, we're not going to go really big, right? Really small is one thing, and medium size is one thing, but we're not going to see them sizes of buses, right? Because you want 6,000 buses <laughs> flying around in the air. I think, um, well, then that starts getting into um, uh, autonomous vehicle, mm. autonomous driverless vehicles mm. and managing Airplane. traffic. Uh, yeah, so I think that's. Oh, there's a of course applications in logistics and logistics, and transportation yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and I think uh, that that may be a different class of problem. Well, different constraints, mm. obviously, because mm. um, you you definitely don't want collisions. Uh, well, mm. you don't want collisions in swarms mm. anyway. But it just depends on the platform and how mm. resilient they are. So, but I think that <laughs> when you use them for monitoring, especially if there's a small cheap unit, yeah. you could really monitor the environment in a way that is, is magnitudes more 
uh, exact and mm -hmm. spread out than what we have today. Usually we have a few sensors telling us right, that at right. this point this is what's going on, but we don't know what's going on in the bigger picture. That, yeah, that's true. You can get um, a much richer data mm. from a swarm, so you can get you know, data as a function of both space and time, mm. dynamically changing data. And then you can also um, have the your sensors adapt to where the interesting features are. So mm. maybe they can detect a gradient or, mm. you know, some maximum in a field and they can mm. kind of home in on that feature and get more detailed data about that feature. Fish, for instance, is a huge resource for, for mankind that has to be managed and also has to be used mm -hmm. wisely. Mm -hmm. Do you see swarms interacting with swarms of biological, of animals? Could we have swarms in, could we have every other fish be an artificial fish and simply lead them to the net? <laughs> and we can yeah. determine that these fish are ready for harvesting and these fish should stay in the ocean and, 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 and grow further. Could we interact with, with animals to, to better manage them? Um, there's definitely been work going on that kind of combines these artificial animals with real animals mm -hmm. and investigates their interactions. Um, it's also been done with cockroaches mm -hmm. to influence um, like the real cockroach to aggregate um, in some area mm. uh, near a, a robot that may not look like a cockroach, but mm. it has the pheromone mm. scent of a cockroach. That would, that, that's, do you think that we're going to see swarms interacting with natural swarms anytime soon? Is that a emerging field or is it? Um, it? Well, it's hard for me to say how soon. I know there's definitely been work on it. Um, for different animals, I mean, so including birds and fish um, and insects. Mm. So uh, I think, and there's definitely interest from the, the uh, community that studies these biological aggregations. Mm. So they're very interested in robotics from the point of view of, uh, well, can they um, test out different plausible biological behaviors to see if that's what the animal the animals are doing. Yeah, so or, the, so the uh, robot helps yeah. us to, un when we can yeah. design a robot that does what the natural animal does, we mm -hmm. know how, how they potentially could do it. We don't know that that's actually right, how they right. do it, but that's so, at least one way, right? Yeah, it's like a, it's a test bed because mm. um, that you can vary lots of conditions, whereas, you know, a colony of ants might be more finicky mm. and yeah, <laughs> the yeah, laboratory yeah. conditions. Yeah. Um, but another tool that uh, robots provide for the biologists is um, a way to perturb the biological system and see how it reacts. So ah. Oh, yes, if, yes, you, if you introduce a predator or mm. like a, a nest mate mm. that is actually artificial and mm. you program it with certain behaviors, how does the, how does the real colony, the natural colony, react? Mm. And so you can um, kind of develop models of the uh, animal's behaviors and interactions based on that. Very and so I think as we um, develop these you know, robotic tools for biologists and b develop more sophisticated models of the um, biological swarms, uh, then we can think more about, uh, you know, controlling them so that they avoid aircraft or, you know, leading them like a Pied Piper away from, you know, insects yeah, <laughs> and infestations yeah. away from somebody's house. And yeah. So, yeah. Instead of using chemicals and, and other yeah, things that yeah. that's really bad in many ways, right? Right, right. And we could also so. use these swarms to, 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 to take care of many things in agriculture, I would mm -hmm. believe. We can detect moisture levels in soil. Should we water? Mm -hmm. Should we, we not water? Do we need to use pest control in some way? Mm -hmm. Is this plant ready for harvesting? or? Right, yeah. I know I know that robotics and agriculture is is becoming really big now mm. and um so you can 
yeah, I mean, you can use uh, drones and other vehicles for monitoring, uh, you know, the plants. And uh, I know that I was on a, po a postdoc position uh, on a project called RoboBees where they were developing robotic bees for mm -hmm. things like crop pollination. Um, and mm -hmm. that was really as a supplement to, um, uh, you know, natural bees, which were dying off in large numbers. Yeah, we've seen that. It's a so, really disturbing, uh, really yeah, disturbing trend. Yeah. Huh? yeah. Um, so that was really to help supplement, you know, for doing this really important pollination activity that produces yeah. so much of our food. Yeah, but we're talking, so, I mean, dozens of percent of, of what we yeah, eat every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very <laughs> significant chunk. We don't want to lose it. No. Mm, very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Very challenging problem. I mean, if you yeah. look at robotics in general, which could be said to be challenging enough. Right, right. Doing it with hundreds of thousands or, or millions of units, and, and, and <laughs> this just adds, and, and the poor nano guys, they're doing yeah, it even yeah. harder. <laughs> they're, they really found a nut to crack there. Right, right. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's just crazy stuff. But they also being, they can also achieve things that are just amazing, fighting mm -hmm. cancer, monitoring the environment. and Yeah, yeah. definitely. Fascinating. Yeah. There's yeah. been so interesting to talk to you, and I, I'm sure we're going to do it again soon. Yeah, that Thank would be Thank you great. very much for taking the time to do an interview. Thank you. Thank you for interviewing me. I hope you liked this episode of the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode is produced together with Vvolver. Vvolver is a platform and community providing engineers informative content that help them innovate. It's how engineers stay cutting edge. Optomica is the founding sponsor for Robots in Depth. Optomica runs anything in modular robotics. Dream, rent, build. Visit aptomica.com to connect. I'm your host, Per Sherboy. Until the next episode, thank you for listening.